is um guild, pal. Pretty good, pal. Okay, good. How we doing? Good, dude. I came up with a new idea in terms of uh, movie genres mm. for like like categorizing, being able to categorize mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. and mainly because I I noticed that <clears throat> a lot of the movie recommendations I've been making lately may or may not be fully accurate. What do you mean? I'll give you an example. So, well, okay, let me just ask you this question. The movie, Too many ums. The movie with Brian Reynolds, Green Lantern. Did you say Brian Rentals? Yeah, oh, Brian, uh, <laughs> Brian Rentals. No, Ryan Reynolds, man. Come on. Okay. Green Lantern. Like it or hate it? Um, I, re- I remember not liking it as bad as everybody else said, but I don't really remember anything memorable. God, memorable, memorable about it. Uh, in illuminated, huh? <laughs> Nothing. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so this is an example. This is a movie that so many people hated, dude. Mm-hmm. I never really hated it, to be honest with you. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. I, a lot of people's like beef was this like CGI costume. My yeah. thing is like, who gives a crap? Although I do, I do think conceptually, I like the idea of this. Lights up, bro. Yeah. Well, I mean. I mean, if if I had my way, I I would see every superhero movie. They would have like homemade looking costumes. I just think that looks so cool. But like, I I'm not opposed to the idea of this sort of like moving around, sort of like like a living kind of costume. Like I yeah. think that's kind of cool. It comes from an alien world. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah. I started watching it on the treadmill. I thought it was fantastic. Hmm. But then I started thinking. You know, maybe some of these movies that I've been watching on the treadmill really aren't that good if you're like sitting down watching them. Oh, I see. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Which would be kind of the same for me while I'm drawing. Okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> like you're watching something. I'm like, Jesus. Oh. Okay. Well. Late night? Rough night? Who, me? Mm-hmm. No, man. Okay. I know man. who did have a late, rough night. Man. Our buddy Luke Pilgrim just had a baby. Congrats, mm-hmm. Luke. Man, he's got several rough nights. He sure does. Like six months worth of rough nights. Although we did let him borrow the snoo, which if you're a parent, you may have heard of this. Never heard of it, man. If you're not a parent. Dude, I'm, I'm not kidding. I would, going from having Amelia and not having it to having it with Elliot, who... Cutting it out, they don't sponsor us. Go ahead. <laughs> Who was actually had like more issues technically? You know, like she had to have surgery when she was, mm-hmm. I don't know, two months old, uh, laryngoglomasia. It's kind of a long story. But anyway, um, having that snoo um, with Elliot made such a big difference. If I could go back, I would literally, I would be willing to pay $10,000 for mm. this thing. Very cool, man. It's amazing. Like, it's it's this, like, little bed. I mean, you know, they're all, like, crazy expensive and, you know, high-tech. But, like, basically it's this bed that, you know, of course it's all linked up to your phone. Um, it has all these sensors inside of it. So, like, if the baby stops, I think that happens. Oh, yeah, yeah, baby yeah. stops breathing, it tells. Mm-hmm. It alerts your phone. If she starts, like, sort of whining and whimpering, it kind of starts shaking. And then if she gets louder, it shakes a little more, it gets louder. It, like... It sort of soothes them and like shakes them back to sleep, but you know, it sets off like an alarm if they've gone beyond like you know the time. And 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really cool, though. I mean, it's basically it basically saves you from having to get up in the night and like pick up the baby and like rock it for an hour. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's priceless. I mean, I kind of like that, bro. I tell you what, I tell you what, I would pay a million dollars to just buy the book and and just preach the preach this gospel as mom's on call, man. Mm. That was mm-hmm. a lifesaver, dude. It's hard to stick to. Most of everybody that I know that we told to do didn't really do it. Mm-hmm. But boy, howdy, man. No, we, Your kids we sleep and did it. 12 hours through the night when they're 12 weeks old and you're like, mm, it's incredible. So, that, you know, I didn't have to buy a Snoopy. You're an idiot. Hey, all you code breakers and cryptographers, welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, ancient volumes of text, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. I'm your host, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other host, Woody Brown. Hey, man. Dude, I'm so (laughs) glad you made it through, (laughs) through that intro. It only took like six times. Man, mm. well, that's kind of my fault. I was making you laugh. Yeah, I just I barely heard like a faint whisper of you like laughing at me, and I'm like, Ugh. okay, pal, what are we uh, what are we doing today? Well, I'm feeling loose. By the way, you feeling good? Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so much like studying, and I feel like I've I've written just like, like listeners. We we literally just I feel like we just did a. Uh, like a wrote, college, college yeah. course term paper, like an up, not not no, like a one hundred and one, but like an upper level, yeah, college course, yeah, in about forty eight hours. <laughs> Same and uh, boy, I mean, I kind of my eyes feel a little crossed. Yeah, same. All words mm-hmm. kind of just blend together. Oh yeah, but in a way, I gotta say, man, that kind of is a pretty good setup for what we're gonna be diving into today. Mm, what are we getting into, bro? All right, so. Here's the thing. <clears throat> you know, we often talk about pre-internet mysteries. And in, in, in season one, we kind of talked about a few here and there. Our awesome OG listener, Clay, kind of sent us mm-hmm. um, some like billfold zines in the mail uh, as a special treat to us and stuff. And that just kind of, I don't know, kicked off and sparked mm. an interest in kind of looking at some of these things that you had talked about for a long time. But as mm-hmm. we sort of kind of started to research one as often happens with any of this stuff, oh, yeah. it opens the door to many, many others. And so we've kind of like wrestled with, boy, like how do we kind of just, do we talk about all of these? Do we talk about the ones that we kind of took the most interest in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the good news and bad news is we don't really have an answer for that yet. But we'll we're just going to kind of, I think we just need to just dive into this, right? Yeah, I agree. So the topic today is... Um, I don't know. How would you say? I guess it's sort of along the lines of like mystery text or mysterious books throughout time. Yeah. Unexplained codexes, if you will. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. We're still working Just on the like title. Strangest books ever like, told. You know, yeah, something. Um, <laughs> books of mystery. Mm. Okay, See, good. L- ladies and gentlemen, I want you to just kind of... Title found. Are you are you going... Do you want to dive into the books that you studied about? Or do you um, want me to dive in? Well, I'm going to go... I kind of have a feeling how this is going to go. But uh, so I'm going to I'm gonna let you go. 
Um, and then I'm going to go, because my book is sort of the, I would say sort of the most popular, sort of the most widely known if you're into this kind of thing. Okay, okay so so you go first. Kind of, there we go. One second. Oh, oh, God, he's ready. All those papers just No, no, around. I just thought of something like, do you know what the definition of a codex is? I sure do. Okay. I mean, that would be probably, do you really? <laughs> yeah, I do. Okay. I actually wrote it down. There's a couple words that before we before we started like reading or looking into all this kind of stuff, truth be told, I'd probably never heard of. One of them is codex. I mean, it, mm-hmm. first off, it instantly jumps to top 10 favorite words of all time. It yeah. just sounds freaking cool as heck, right? It sounds 80s. It really it does. does, man. Like it, it, but what, what's even cooler is like, you know, we talk a lot about stuff that happens in the 80s, 90s, 70s, 60s, 50s. 30s. Oh, we're going way but, back. Man, we're going way back in, yeah. the, in the time machine this time. Mm-hmm. So do you want to explain to everybody what a codex is? Yeah, so a codex is a term used for typically ancient manuscript-type books with, well, I guess all of the contents inside would be handwritten. So it's mm. basically handmade ancient text. Yeah, it kind of predates any of the like mass printing technologies, oh, yeah. right? And so, I mean, gosh, dude, even back in the day, I mean, before, I didn't intend to get into this necessarily, but before, it's just fascinating to me to think about this. Like, even things like the Bible, mm-hmm. in order to be mass produced, essentially, you had people just like copying it down by hand, Yep, right? Pretty amazing. Anyways, so there's kind of a handful of these sort of mysterious books that have been found throughout history, either in someone's sort of like, personal library or that have kind of um, surfaced over the years, over time. The one that I'm going to be talking about today is extremely interesting. And the reason why I'm leading off with this one is this one out of the books that I kind of looked deeper into was the one that really had the most sort of mystery about it. Mm -hmm. So rewind the clock back to, we'll say, late 1800s. Mm-hmm. By the way, again, this is another sort of disclaimer at the top here. This text was initially found by this Hungarian guy. And so there's a lot of folks in that side of the world still today mm-hmm. that are studying it. And so a lot of the names, oh, yeah. I'm going to completely butcher. Yeah, so if you're too. from Hungary, I apologize. Um, or Italy. Or just anywhere that, that English is the first. Yeah, we're just not extremely good at swimming. No, um <laughs> at reading, apparently. Okay, so it's like 1848. There's this guy named Gustav Bathyanyi. Mm. I think I did pretty good just then with, Very the, good. with the uh, pronunciation. Mm-hmm. He was this like Hungarian nobleman who, at that time, there, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the world. There's like the Spring of Nations. There, there are wars and all this kind of stuff. He actually donated uh, extensive library from this little village called Rohans. Okay, now... When you look this up, this book, the way it's spelled is R-O-H-O-N-C. So whenever I found out about this book, I thought it was the Rohonk Codex, right? Mm-hmm. But it's actually Rohans, and that's how you pronounce it. So it's like a small village where his family owned a lot of land. Anyhow, he donates these volumes of different books, actually, to the Hungarian Academy of Science. And one of the books is this what they called the Codex of Rants or the Rohans Codex. And at the time, people kind of identified it as and categorized it as a, a prayer book, despite the fact that 
it couldn't be read because what's interesting about this over 400, almost 450 page mm. manuscript, it's, it's bound, it's this book that's bound in leather. It's got about 450 pages that contains everything from almost like antiquarian seeming sort of religious illustrations, mm-hmm. um, unrecognizable characters, a lot of just like super interesting symbols and art. And also something that was noted early on is this like watermark of an anchor with a star mm. that some scholars conclude may kind of point that it was originated from 16th century Italy. So here's the thing about this book. Number one, no one knows where it originated from, who wrote it, mm-hmm. and basically what the heck everything inside it means. So it's got a lot of like Christian iconography, but then it also has some stuff like suns and crescent moons and, and symbolism that may even hint toward like pagan or uh, Islamic iconography. Mm-hmm. There's almost like some scholars have kind of recognized some sort of runic type symbols that may be kind of ancient Roman era stuff. Like Druid and, type stuff almost? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And even some stuff that's been sort of recognized as maybe even like Indian Brahmic. So wow. you've got this like book from potentially like the, the 1700s that has now been passed on and it just drives scholars wild. I mean, wow. another thing real quick about the illustrations. It also has like stuff about military battles. Really, in terms of its origins, a lot of people, it's been linked to like India, Samaria, ancient Hungary, any Mm. kind of attempt to decipher the text in the codex or to make any kind of sense of it, for the most part, have failed. Yeah, same. That's a pretty common theme, by the way. Oh, what, that they've failed to... uh, Like the the one theme that we'll see throughout uh, all of these really is, you know, you'll have people coming out saying, oh, I've, I've, you know, decrypted it, I've figured it out. But typically it's just, it's kind of ancient clickbait. Like nobody has ever really fully figured these things out. So part of the mystery is like, what is this book about? Because here's the thing, like you said, whenever you define what a codex was, this is handwritten, hand-drawn, yeah. 450 pages, very time-consuming, right? Oh, yeah. Is it a secret code, right? Is it some sort of like manuscript. Well, I'll get to the theories. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, the, the the bottom line is nobody really knows like what is the purpose? Mm-hmm. Because some of the books, well, at least one, the other one that I'm going to talk about actually has, in a way, a purpose. This one, though, no one knows. That's the part of the mystery. Even though there are those sort of Christian iconography and stuff in there, some people think, well, was it like a religious dissenter who was trying to hide his, I don't know, heretic doctrine from the church? Or mm. was he like using those symbols as a way to distract from the actual content of the book? So people think, oh, this is just a religious text. When, oh, when yeah. instead it was just some sort of like, you know, secret message. Um, Almost like encoding. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They also have been, they've, they've, they've had a hard time kind of like really coming up with when exactly it was written. You know, there's a lot of best guesses um, due to some of the stuff that's in there that maybe Northern Italy in the 16th century, you know, again, deduced by that watermark. Um, and and w- was that something that was sort of linked to that area? 
of Italy? Like, is yeah, that a yeah, common? that watermark. Yeah, but like I said, there's mm-hmm. a bunch of links to a lot of different areas. So again, it plays into was this the author's way of just throwing everybody off, or is this book sort of like a culmination of all of those things into one mm. text? Again, yeah. we'll we'll get into. You're going to actually like. I think everyone listening knows where I tend to go, mm-hmm. but I think you're going to be surprised today. Mm. So everyone, since this thing came around, has been trying to solve this mystery. And there's a bunch of different theories. There's uh, one that's sort of called the Sumero-Hungarian hypothesis. Mm-hmm. So in the 90s, this guy named Attila Nairi, I don't know, I'm sorry, definitely <laughs> wrong in terms of pronunciation, but he's from Hungary. He proposed a solution that after... You're going to love this. After studying only two pages of the 450, he turned the pages upside down and identified a Sumerian ligature and then associated Latin alphabet letters to the rest of the symbols by resemblance. However, he sometimes transliterated um, the same symbol with different letters and conversely the same letter was decoded from several symbols. So essentially his method was criticized by other folks because he kind of like took liberties a little bit. So he, he recognized some symbols of that Sumerian language once he sort of turned it upside down, recognized some potential Latin as well. One of the translations that he made was of a passage that says, your God has come, the Lord flies. Oh, there are the holy angels, them. Oh, now that's awesome. That's intense, right? Mm -hmm. So, that was one theory. Apparently, like a lot of people kind of gave him grief for his methodology, whatever. Yeah. I think that quote's pretty rad. Yeah. The next one is called a Daco Romanian hypothesis. And that was kind of proposed in the early 2000s by a Romanian, uh, I guess, scientist. Um, again, dude, I'm not even going to try to pronounce <laughs> this name. There's a letter that I don't even recognize as being a letter. Not mm-hmm. sure how to pronounce that. So, mm-hmm. anyways, Vioric- Viorica is the first name claimed that the text had been written in the vulgar Latin dialect of, I guess, Dacia, and the direction of the writing is right to left, bottom to top. Bottom to top? Yeah, I know. I mean, God, this is part of the reason why I don't read those, like, anime books. I'm already annoyed. Just (laughs) do it, like, my way. I understand preserving the culture, but, you know, come on, man. I'm never going to read that. But check out this thing that he translated. It says, O son of the life, let right that span the time. In great numbers, in the fierce battle, without fear, go. Go as a hero. Break ahead with great noise to sweep away and defeat the Hungarian. (laughs) What? That's amazing. It's incredible, right? Mm -hmm. And so like... So so how are they... how are they getting that? From what I read, a lot of people have problems with this too because the alleged translation indicates that the text is potentially like 11th, or I'm sorry, 11th or 12th century mm-hmm. and chronicles basically the, I guess, the Vlox people and their fight against the Hungarians mm-hmm. and symbols that characteristically appear in the same context throughout the codex are regularly transliterated with different letters so that the patterns in the original code are lost. Essentially, critics of that hypothesis basically said this person mm-hmm. didn't use like any kind of true scientific, authentic way to translate it. Just kind of, and it doesn't like match up or yeah. something. Like they kind of like, well, this doesn't quite work, but we'll just say that this letter means that letter. Yeah. And if you do it that way, so in any case, which there's super, a lot of that. 
Yeah, and it's super interesting. I mean, what else are they supposed to do? Yeah. So this one is the Brahmi and Hindi hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to the fact that there are so many sort of indicators that it can kind of be related to a lot of different areas. So in this one, back in 2004, Mahesh Kumar Singh claimed that the codex is written left to right, top to bottom, thank you, with an undocumented variant of the Brahmi script. And he translated the first 24 pages of the codex to get a Hindi text, which was translated then to Hungarian. Anyways, there, there have been systematic attempts almost every single decade since this thing came around. Examine like repeating sequences to find the directions of the writing. I mean, people have used computers to try to do it. But here's what I found that was like super interesting. So around 2010, this guy named Gabor Tokai published a series of three short articles in the Hungarian Popular Science Weekly. Hmm. And he basically said in that initial study that, look, he couldn't rule out the possibility of a hoax, but him and this other guy, Zoltan, Jesus, these names, man, have been studying this thing since 2008 or whatever. The most recent thing that they released was a published article. I tried to, you know, get access to it, but essentially you have to be part of this like Hungarian scientific society or pay $50 um, for this PDF. And I don't even know if it was translated, so didn't do it. Yeah, those are are tough. The the ones that are kind of strictly for academic circles, you Mm -hmm. know. Like here's the article abstract. <clears throat> the Rohans Codex is a small 448-page codex handwritten in a script that has resisted deciphering since the codex was discovered in 1839. The main cause of this failure may be the fact, as we will reveal, that the writing is not a substitution cipher or ancient alphabet, as most researchers presupposed, but is, in fact, a code system with features that no codebreaker would expect, the breaking of which is an extremely heuristic task. This article is intended to be the first of three or four in which we summarize our findings made during our years-long research of the Brohans Codex. In the present article, we discuss general features of the text, our methodological criteria, and the story of cracking the code. To give weight to our argument, we present several interlinear translations of passages from the Codex's text. This will be expanded by further articles in which we plan to describe some advanced features of the code, such as its morphology, syntax, as well as the possible language of the author. We will also provide a detailed table of contents further in the yada, 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 yada. So who knows if they found the solution, but it's just fascinating to me that still to this day, man, there's so much mystery surrounding this book, man, that just like essentially appeared because this guy donated it (laughs) to to this library, you know? And if you look at the pictures of the pages, which... I can't wait to kind of share with our listeners. I mean, out of a lot of these, this one looks the most like somebody just had a old school pen, a quill mm-hmm. and ink and just literally like painted. I mean, the art the art is very, very crude. It yep. kind of looks like it was painted by like a watercolor brush in yep. a way, yep. like a little kid. So sort of that medieval kind of look. Very, very medieval. Yeah. And, Which um, I think a lot of these kind of share that same yeah. distinction. Yeah, for sure, man. And that I, real sort of crude, somewhat two-dimensional, mm-hmm. like pre-Renaissance when when everybody was either like facing right or facing left. Right, right. You know. Yeah. Almost Probably. almost really almost like a um, hieroglyphic, sort of a mm-hmm. more modern version of yes. that. Yes, right, right. Yeah, very, very uh, like reminiscent a little narrative of like Egyptian sort of 
hieroglyphics kind of. I mean, that's what it's most reminiscent of, you know, like very so, crude in terms of like artistic uh, ability. The way the pictures are drawn, it's like, you know, those sort of hard profile. Yeah, that's what I'm talking know. about. Yeah. yeah. And just in case people are wondering, because I know I did, where's this thing at now? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's been owned by this Hungarian Academy of Science sciences in Budapest since 1838. And um, you can actually see, I think that's where a lot of the the pictures and stuff that you can find are from scans that that these folks kind of release to to the public. So, um, you know, it's it's one of those things you're not allowed to take pictures of it and and all that. So it's like really sort of embedded in like Hungary. Yeah. Because I, I had never heard of that one before at all. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, dude, it's, it's, I mean, do you want me to kind of like get into what I, something that just kind of... Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's just, again, let's all hop on the train of, it's not just a hoax, okay? Yeah. That's out of the way. Boom, mm-hmm. we're done with it. Okay. I think there's two fascinating possibilities. Mm-hmm. Number one, it's a book from another dimension. Yeah. So there's a lot of similarities, but just like we learned in season yeah. one with uh, the Mandela Effect, but also... Um, the Everyday chemistry. John Teeter. Oh, yeah. You know... Little differences here and there. Yeah. Oh, no, you know who, what it was? It was um, The Man from Tarid. Oh, right. Right. Yeah, so like, three episodes yeah. that if you haven't heard them yet from our first season, you need to go back and listen to The Man from Tarid, John Teeter, and The Mandela Effect. Mm-hmm. Outside of the actual stories, we go kind of deeper into like multidimensional stuff and, and that kind of thing. So anyway, I think that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is a text from a different dimension that just kind of got left behind yep. and someone found I think or, that's a very strong possibility. Strong. Um, <laughs> or, and guess what, folks? I'm not going to say time travel this time around. Whoa. I'm not going to say it. I th- what about like that sort of, sort of quote-unquote, ancient alien type vibe? Mm-hmm. You know, if you put yourself in the shoes of like somebody that's coming to travel to Earth, and they're just like, I don't know, man. You, I mean, this is, you know, maybe all of these different things that, in terms of symbolism from different cultures around the world at the time, maybe that's their way of kind of like unifying the message in some way. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. So anyways, that's the Rohan's Codex. Man, that's awesome. You know, I think just to get this out of the way, because, and you sort of touched on it, but I really feel like we owe it to our audience to say that I think the idea of like, any of these being like a quote-unquote hoax is just total BS. Because if, hypothetically, say say all of these these books that we're talking about today, say all of them are were created by one person. One person used their hand to create every bit of this. We're talking, there, isn't, there are no printing presses. There are no anything. It's either a brush or a nib. Uh, which is like a little metal device, you know, like you think of like the the Constitution or, you know, it's like a little metal, they sometimes call it like a crow quill and you dip it into ink and that's all you have and you create this whole thing. Like we're taught, these books are anywhere from, you know, two to 400 to 700 pages. Nobody is going to spend their entire lifetime to create some obscure random hoax i just i think that's impossible yeah i mean do i think there were hoaxers back then probably but i mean not only forget about all that other stuff it's just like 
what if we're going to just get on a podcast and talk about something and just say, but it was probably a hoax. <laughs> boring. Just, you know, that's like the most, that to me is like the most boring thing. So let's, well, that's what I'm but, saying. But also, I, I mean, oddly enough, I think it's the most insane thing too, because I mean, j- I don't know. It, it just, it like if we're using Occam's razor, which is like, you know, the most sort of obvious thing is what the thing is. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously in any of, in all of these, there's not like, like a red flag of like, oh, well, this is clearly this. Right. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, I just, I, I cannot get into, like, it's I'd, just as crazy. I, yeah, I'd have a better, it would be easier for me to accept that this is just some BS if somebody found this in like this year. Right. And they're like, oh, man, we found this old ancient text. And I'd be like, yeah, probably fake, right? Yeah. And that's unfair for our time period probably. But, I mean, the fact that this has been around since essentially the 1700s, yeah, theoretically, maybe even before that, mm-hmm. you know, man, it's just, it's more difficult for me to like just say, oh, it's probably just some, because, hey, I don't know if this is just because I do a lot of my writing by typing these days, mm-hmm. but boy, have you ever tried to write like more than 20 pages yeah, I, by hand lately? I literally did it this morning. Instant cramps, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, no. Not even that. But, you know, I'm I'm a comic book artist. Everything that I use to draw with is I have a brush, which is made out of sable hair, and I dip it in a little inkwell, and then I draw. Or, you know, for some stuff, there's like a these pins called fine liners, which are like really, really tiny, 0.001, or a nib, which is what they would have used back in the day. And I'm telling you, if you think writing that long is painful, okay, try doing it like with a nib or like, you know, we refer to them as like dip pins nowadays, but it, I mean, it's like full on dedication. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I think the dedication is just, it's just not going to be there for a literal lifetime of, uh, you know, this hoax kind of thing. Right. Well, and plus also I, I think, and again, this is a, this is a common denominator in all these. I think, you know, uh, okay, let's just look at it as like, okay, maybe this was a hoax. Well, so you're telling me somebody created their in, like an entire language system just so they could have this weird, bizarre book that would maybe or maybe not eventually become a hoax? Yeah. Oh, and see, my favorite thing, like right out of the gate right there, I love to come up with the reasons why in an interesting way if that was the case. So there are some of these books that have like – well, I forget what they call them, like not manufactured languages, but some artif- uh, some sort of like Almost fake like language created for, yeah, that's like a code language, right? Yeah. So why would somebody do that back in 70? Well, dude, yeah. maybe, yeah, but hold on. Maybe, that's what I'm saying. If they did, it wasn't for like a hoax purpose. Oh, In my yeah. mind, I'm thinking like, oh, dude, they created this thing because they're talking about some crazy secret stuff. Maybe now they, I get that, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that is where my mind just starts going wild about all the different possibilities yeah. about what this thing is. I mean, what if, is there some secret, you know, life-changing message? <clears throat> I promise I'm not getting verklempt. Um, a life-changing message that is in this text or or a story about, uh, you know, contact with mm-hmm. other beings, you know, otherworldly, whatever that is. I mean, remember one of those translated quotes, man? I mean, the first thing I thought of was like, whoop, aliens, your God has come, the Lord flies. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Oh, there are the there are the holy angels. Yeah, they're yeah. talking about angels though. I mean, that's 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 a very well, 
Really. Yeah, but if we, if we remember Passport to Magonia, you know, ancient people have had interactions with, oh, yeah. quote unquote, people from the skies, mm-hmm. angels, you know, all these kind of things. I, I'm saying if they're reading the term, like the actual term angels, that's a very sort of Judeo-Christian, yeah. so, you know, some iconography, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do like the Zachariah Stitchin sort of ancient aliens concept, though. I mean, that... That is mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yep. And, and like this would, would lend itself to ancient like Indian culture, like the, I think it's called like the Bhagat Veda or the, it, it's basically an ancient text, which, and this is just from memory, but it, it, it talks about basically these, these beings that could fly around in the skies mm-hmm. on these like craft or like these flying boats. I think maybe it's, it's sort of the translation. Um, and they had these weapons that, could cause massive amounts of damage that a lot of a lot of scholars look at and say, well, that to me that sounds almost like atomic energy or nuclear yeah. energy. Uh, and what's weird is if you around that same area that th- they would have been talking about this, they've actually found where there's places where the sand has been turned to glass, um, which is only a yeah. product of nuclear a nuclear yeah, blast, extreme high heat. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's that's pretty fascinating if if mm. you look at it like that. Especially like, you know, your God that flies. That's that's pretty awesome. And here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried that you're going to tell us about your book and then I'm going to go back to another one of my, we're not going to have enough time for me to tell about my next one. Well, how about this? After these messages, we'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures from another dimension, another world. I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. And I'll kind of keep this one a little bit shorter because really it's much less mysterious. Really, there's only like one thing I definitely wanted to talk about about this book that is just amazing. And whenever you see this picture, dude, it will blow your mind. Mm-hmm. All right. So the other book that I'm going to talk about is called The Smithfield Decretals. Mm. Basically, I didn't know what the heck a decretal was. Or another term that I kind of ran into, especially with this one, is something called an illuminated manuscript. 
Does that mean that it was handed down by God? Does that mean that it was like the author was hired by someone of the church? No. An illuminated manuscript is a manuscript in which the text is supplemented with such decoration as initials, borders, and miniature illustrations. Hmm. Otherwise known as my D&D notebook. There you go. Um, (laughs) So I felt like it's important for the audience to know, I guess. But this manuscript was actually from Pope Gregory the Ninth, uh, who served as Pope from 1227 to 1241 AD. And it was originally copied in the south of France. What I didn't know, because I'm not Catholic, is that there's something called canon law. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? And again, didn't really have a whole lot of context out of personal experience about that. But essentially, from what I gather, the popes would sort of have these manuscripts written for them that would sort of dole out, hey, this is good, this is bad, yeah, boom. And then that was taken and, again, copied for the uh, the members of the church, and they would kind of like read that and know sort of, oh, where does the Pope stand on this? I mean, not too dissimilar to kind of what goes on today, right? Mm-hmm. The world changes a little bit. People look to their person of authority, in this case for the Catholic Church, the Pope. Dr. Fauci. You know, Dr. Dr. Fauci, you know, whoever it is, they'll look to that person of authority and then whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's what kind of these these books were. What's interesting about this one, again, not mysterious, just very kind of weird, mm-hmm. are the illustrations. Because well, the, wait, real quick, sorry to cut you mm-hmm. off. Is is this in a known language? Yeah. So yeah. so it's so it's pretty mundane as far as yeah, exactly. Okay. So again, originally copied in France, but the original scribes who copied it during the turn of the 13th century, or whatever, produced sort of like these lavish illustrations for the beginnings of each of the these five books that make up the text. Mm-hmm. And they they also intentionally sort of like left some of the margins blank so that the future owners of the text could kind of add their own notes and annotations. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result of this, the original manuscript originally had a lot of like sort of blank space in it and that kind of thing. But the Smithfield decretals fell into the possession of someone in Eastern England, they think probably closer to London, and who paid a group of illustrators to add even more extensive illustrations to the text. And so <clears throat> I'm just going to hit the highlights here and just kind of categorize them by what's going, going on. There's one that we like to call the Knights fighting giant snails. Whoa. Basically, the illustrations are people fighting these giant snails depicted to be like late Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. No one really knows what the snails are supposed to sort of represent or depict. Um, I mean, some believe that it could, like the snails may represent the Lombards or the Germanic people or, you know, people who the knights would have fought mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Yeah. But like... It's just hilarious, man. Imagine like an old school medieval painting of a knight literally fighting a snail that's the same size as he is. And so you're saying that that they paid somebody to come in and fill the margins, man. So not necessarily like a religious person. So this could have been like a more random kind of person, I guess. Yeah, it wasn't. This is out of the Pope's hands at this point, right? And, you know, once it got into like the hand of these, uh, you know, and um, a lot of them are just like bizarre, kind of weird and hilarious. Some mm. of them. 
and they don't necessarily depict what's going on on the pages. Uh, <laughs> well, I will say this. As an artist and like a contract artist, that's pretty funny to me because mm-hmm. like I can totally see them just getting some dude who's like, oh man, I'm just going to rock this thing out. Well, and you can tell that they kind of trickily sort of may have been kind of putting out their opinion through their art. So the next sort of category of these illustrations I'll talk about are these foxes dressed as bishops lecturing birds. So a lot of people think this is like satire against like the corrupt priests, the corrupt Catholic church, um, because, you know, foxes are like that clever trickery sort of thing. And then like Mm -hmm. the birds are like the flock, you know, that kind of thing. Hmm. But again, man, one of them's like, you know, a fox preaching to some birds. Mm -hmm. And then you find some more and it's like, oops, now the birds are like hanging the fox, like in a tree. What? Yeah, dude. I mean, so things start to get real bizarre. Which I think that is a good sort of connection with that. Like, like I would think that it's sort of satirical in a way of Mm -hmm. like, you know, the flock, like that kind of, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, just wait, dude. Oh boy. Next, uh, next one. Oh boy, some of these illustrations get real sexual, naughty. Yeah, real naughty. And and like, oops, the daisies. Uh, I mean, I'll just give you an example. There's one of apparently like this dude that's legit just sexually assaulting a woman who's trying to like just get away from her. There's like translated into modern English too. There is a phrase that it's like. Dude, I'm going to read this, but obviously I'm going to bleed this out. Get ready, man. Okay? <laughs> this is amazing. First f***ing sentence. And privately, he grabbed her by... Dude, I'm not, hold on. Before I say this, I swear to... <laughs> this is literally in the article, translated into modern English. This is exactly what it says. I'm not over-exaggerating. I'm not inputting in anything to make it funny. This is real. You and ready? The, and again, preface, this is a religious Catholic. Correct. Okay. And privately, he grabbed her by the <laughs> and said, yes, unless I have my will for secret love of you, sweetie, I'll spill. And held her hard by the buttocks and said, sweetie, love me now or I will die and God will save me too. What? I mean, how is, first of all, I'm thinking the whole time that all the text is like on the level. It's like Catholic, you mm-hmm. know, very like, oh, this is what's going on in the church this year. Mm-hmm. And then like crazy drawings. But I mean, what, how does that fit in? Boy, who knows, man? It's like literally this drawing, too, by the way, is, is just like this girl who is like, you know, you know what it's like, she's spinning. Like by hand, like thread, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and she's using one of those machines, and this dude is just like behind her, like patting her on the butt. Like some of these pictures, bro. I promise you, when you look at him, you're like, "No way, this has to be fake. Someone has to have done it now." Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, look, not all the illustrations are just like. Uh, there's some that the girls kind of take charge and and kind of uh, okay. kind of start saying no. Mm-hmm. So there's this illustration where this guy, this wild man, by the way, hairy dude, Ooh. could, I mean, literally. You hear that, Timothy Renner? Looks, yeah, looks like he could be Bigfoot with like a cane. Wow. 
this lady's like beating him or holding him off with like a stick. Which, by the way, you know, in like medieval times, the term like witches were always sort of associated with like hairy figures. No, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, dude. All right, moving on. Next category is just as English as it comes. Mm -hmm. And this one is the rabbits hunting dogs and humans. So it's kind of like a flip of, you know, they do those rabbit hunting. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Fox and the Hound, all that kind of stuff. This has to be satire. Oh, yeah. I mean, this one says, this is an example of how some of the illustrations are supposed to be humorous. They're intended to kind of reflect an ironic reversal of roles. I mean, they sound pretty cool. Are they, like, well done? I mean, they look like medieval paintings. Oh, yeah, I mean, sort of medieval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, I mean, I don't think that they're well done, but I think they're kind of awesome. I'm picturing those, like, you know, very, you know, you'd see a lot of times, like, the donkey and the the elephant, like, in the 20s and 30s. Yeah, no, this is much more, like, primitive kind of. On the tapestry and, like, yeah, right. uh, Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Also, what's kind of cool is like the depiction of um, the devil and the demons, the way that they appear on these pages. Mm. You know, the the devil back in the Middle Ages was kind of something more of like trickster, humorous, you know, kind yeah. of like um, naughty, but like... Like a low-key uh, figure. Yeah, and like, I don't know, I just kind of picture it like as a like, oh, 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 here I come with my pitchfork, gotcha, kind of stuff. You almost know? like they would look like goblins almost, mm-hmm. too, kind of thing. Yeah, this, they get a little bit more intense with it. Like, demons are threatening the clergy and leering over sleeping women and pushing clergy off bridges and, like, mm-hmm. dangling nuns from bridges and all kinds of just crazy, crazy stuff. You know, they're much more sort of, like, hideous and grotesque, which, mm-hmm. is, which is pretty cool. All right, last one, mm-hmm. and then I'm done. You're not going to believe this, but I promise you, as soon as I say this, you and everyone listening... Is going to be like, what? I've got to see this. Bro, Yoda is in this book. What? Yes. Okay. It's a wrinkly green creature with pointy ears wearing a brown cloak that I'm not joking. This is the reason why I picked this one. I just happened to see this picture and I was like, what? Some people have said that the creature is potentially like an illustration of what's supposed to represent the devil Mm -hmm. as a professor of canon law, which again... These rebels, man. These rebels came in and were like, okay, Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'll draw you some pictures. <laughs> that's that's exactly mm-hmm. the way I feel about it, yeah. Which is still really cool. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's cool that that stuff kind of survived, you know, because a lot of that stuff, like anything remotely that went against the church was just Yeah, burned. exactly. And apparently, like, and I'll give you an example. It's funny that you say that. So in the Middle Ages, you know, academic professors were often sort of accused by we'll just say the church mm-hmm, right. for like spreading, you know, falsehoods and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this article that I found basically says that professors in the middle ages often wore robes like the ones that this quote unquote Yoda character uh, is wearing. And so potentially this illustration might also be representing like, you know, a, a professor who is mm. deemed evil by, you know, the church or whatever. Yeah. They're kind of like demonized. Yeah. Yeah, like if you were talking about even, you know, down to like astronomy or the, you know, believing that there were like planets and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, that stuff was very like heretical. And oh, yeah. Yeah. What do you see this, dude? This is real. Wow. I mean, I mean, 
It's Yoda. It literally looks just like Yoda. Although those like weird webbed brains. Right, right. But still, dude, what the? Yeah, I mean, that looks straight up like yoga. Yoga. That just Jeez. looks. Um, Man, I love the writing though. That's cool. Yeah, it's cool, right? Yeah. So anyway, that's the Smithfield Decretals. Mm-hmm. And like I said, not so much mystery, but really just this one is a lot more sort of intrigue. There's so much more about it. I just kind of barely scratched the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, again, one of those ancient texts that exists that has yeah. crazy stuff in it, man. Yeah, so, so cool. That's really, really cool. Well, uh, those were great. And now I'm going to get into probably the most widely known one. I think one of the sort of equally interesting things about about my volume is the guy, the owner of this. It's named after him to begin with. And um, just sort of his history and sort of the lineage of, you know, how the book sort of was passed down and, and the ownership of it. Um, it's it's really, really interesting. So I'm going to start out with like the history of the guy, and then we'll kind of lead into getting into the book. It was Halloween, 1865. Wilfred Voynich was born in the town of Telsii, which is present-day Lithuania, into a Polish-Lithuanian noble family. During these uneasy times, the now pharmacist would eventually become a Polish revolutionary, and in a failed attempt to rescue his friends in 1886, he would be caught and sentenced by the Russian police to a prison in Irktusk, Siberia. While in Siberia, he would acquire a working knowledge of 18 different languages. In June of 1890, he escaped Siberia, hopping a train to Hamburg and then on to London, where he would spend most of his time. In 1897, he became an antiquarian bookseller and opened a shop at Soho Square. He was remarkably lucky in finding rare books, including the Malermi Bible in Italy in 1902. Voynich would go on to open another bookshop in New York in 1914 and become deeply involved in the antiquarian book trade. In 1917, based on rumors, he would be investigated by the FBI in relation to Bacon's cipher. Kevin Bacon. uh Uh-huh. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, Kevin Bacon. The report would also find that he dealt manuscripts from the 11th, 12th, and 13th centuries and that the value of his collection was over half a million dollars. So keep in mind, this is Mm -hmm. 1917. Like, just imagine for a second. This is, you know, nowadays it's like, hey, man, you know, I've got X amount in, like, crypto and mm-hmm. uh, I've got uh, NFTs or whatever. This dude... All silly. ...was just, like, dealing in, like, freaking ancient manuscripts. Yeah, dude. Just think about the stuff he had his hands Amazing. on. Keep going. Amazing. The investigation did not reveal anything beyond the fact that he possessed a secret code nearly a thousand years old. So for some clarification, the Bacon cipher, which is what he had, uh, you know, in his possession. And basically what it said in the, and I looked up a couple, I'm just going to break in real quick. He, I, I looked up a couple of things about the Bacon cipher and essentially it was, there's this town. Mm-hmm. You weren't allowed to dance in it. <laughs> but one man kind of came in and he bravely just showed the, the town and the kids in the town mm. that just by, just by learning how to dance. Yeah. You know. What's weird too is like for the 1600s, for them to have tractors and they would like, yeah, you know, they would play chicken and the first to turn that tractor off into the ditch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so the Bacon Cipher is an encoded text devised by Francis Bacon in Mm -hmm. 1605 that many people claim was created as a way for Bacon to encrypt the writings of Shakespeare and lead them back to him, the real Shakespeare. 
So this this is like a whole episode within itself, the, mm. the Shakespeare thing, which is fascinating. Like once you really get into this stuff, in my opinion, there is absolute zero possibility that the William Shakespeare that we know of, you know, the... Uh, was just one person? Well, no. I, no, I mean, I think it could have been. I mean, I think Francis Bacon, I mean, he was a polymath. He was a genius. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could have totally done it all. And it would have been... You know, it just used like a pen name or something. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It was like I think the Shakespeare was almost like a mantle, but using the 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 Bacon cipher was basically all these writings of the quote unquote Shakespeare character. It was they were basically all codes, kind of like what you were talking about, like sort of encoded language. Um, but using this particular cipher, you could go through the Shakespeare's writings. And it would, number one, lead you back to, you know, being revealed that Francis Bacon was the, the actual author and also having like all these other sort of, you know, coded messages, if you will. Uh, pretty fascinating. The most famous of Voynich's possessions was the mysterious manuscript that he acquired uh, in 1912 at the Villa Mondragon, Italy. It is an illustrated codex, which we already went over mm-hmm. what a codex mm-hmm. is. It is written in an unknown writing system and language that we now refer to as Voynichese. It has been studied by the greatest codebreakers, cryptographers, and cryptoanalysts in the world, yet no one has even come close to deciphering the text. In 1962, even the great cryptoanalyst Elizabeth Friedman, who was described as... Uh, Hot to trot. Sorry. Known as America's first female cryptoanalyst, described the exhaustive statistical analysis as doomed to utter frustration. The manuscript measures 23 and a half by 16 inches with 240 pages, if not taking into account the multiple folios, which lean closer to it having 272 pages with some pages missing when Voynich acquired it in 1912. So basically these folios are, you know, it would be kind of like one page would really be the length of like three pages. So okay, it would like, I got you. you know, kind of like a poster inside a yeah, comic. Yeah. It features roughly 170,000 characters with no punctuation, and here's the best part, and zero mistakes. Man. Not one single mistake. Uh, the radiocarbon dating was done in 2009 at the University of Arizona. Now, where have we heard the University of Arizona? Oh, yes. See what I mean? Folks, you're going to have to go back and listen to the Mayday Mystery episode from season one. Yes, you are. Pretty amazing synchronicity. Uh, dating it between 1404 and 1438. Protein testing in 2014 revealed that the vellum paper was made completely of calfskin and was unwritten on before the manuscript was created and bound. Hmm. I don't know how they would figure that out, but that's pretty amazing. That's basically saying, and again, go back, there's zero mistakes, not one single mistake, not one single like smidgen off or like. I mean, I literally just use whiteout. Exactly. In a notebook that no one else in the world will ever see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and we're talking 272 pages of a mis- mystery language. Uh, Although if it's a mystery language, I don't know how they can tell if they, they made a mistake or not. Well, I mean, I mean, clearly you would. I mean, I can make up a language <laughs> and then there's going to be no mistakes. Uh, Should have left that part out because uh, hmm. uh, the parchment is prepared from over fifteen entire calfskins. So that's wow, literally fifteen full, full on, full all the skin of a calf. Fifteen of them. Maybe just next time. Maybe just like I don't know, two to three adults 
or yeah well the thing the thing about it being like just not as soft i guess yeah it's like that super high quality vellum gross Uh, the goatskin binding and covers are actually not original to the book but date it back to its possession by the jesuits which wow the jesuits can lead into some sort of other sort of conspiracy theories but at the Collegio Romano, or the Roman College. Hey, buonasera. <laughs> all of the work was done with a quill pen and iron gall ink. So, uh, you know, all of these these books that we've been talking about so far have they've all they all kind of share that same characteristic. Uh, the illustrations are conveniently used to divide to divide the book into six different sections. Since the text cannot be read, each section is broken down into the different styles and subject matter. The largest section is the herbal section uh, and consists of 112 folios. Well, what's interesting too, like just to talk a little bit about the drawings and the stuff in those sections, mm-hmm. you know, like in the in the biological and, and like the herbal illustrations, it's just super neat to see those early il- biological illustrations, yeah. astronomical illustrations. They're much more, I'll say they're in comparison to the books that I had or the books that I talked about, they're much more, they're just a little bit more scientific looking, Mm -hmm. which is cool. Yeah, it is cool. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So the herbal section with botanicals, possible list of ingredients, and numerous illustrations of plants, which all of them are unidentifiable, which is another fascinating thing. Mm. Uh, Next is the astronomical section with 21 folios, contains circular diagrams suggestive of astronomy and astrology. Some of them with suns, moons, and stars. Uh, One series of 12 diagrams depicts somewhat conventional symbols for sort of our known zodiac. So, you know, you think of, you know, the 12 months, like, you know, astrology. Uh, Each of these diagrams have 30 female figures arranged in two or more concentric bands, which we'll post this because it's kind of hard to explain, but most of them are at least partially nude and each holds what appears to be a la- <laughs> each holds what appears to be a labeled star or is shown with a star attached to either arm by a cord of some kind. Uh, the last two pages of this section have been lost. Uh, next up is the balneological section. I- I've never heard of that word in my whole life. What is it? Uh, balneological. Hmm. Um, B-A-L-N-E-O-L-O-G-I-C-A-L. No, no worries. Yeah. With 20 folios, it's a dense, continuous text uh, interspersed with drawings, mostly showing small, nude women. <laughs> some wearing crowns, bathing in pools or tubs that are all connected by intricate and elaborate network of pipes. So imagine like these weird like little tubs or like little pools and then this crazy sort of elaborate. I mean, even for sort of the the somewhat primitive nature of the drawings, um, I mean, it's like. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty elaborate. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. I don't know what on earth they could be. Um, zero. And a lot yeah. of times they're in like this like green liquid, a lot of no. sort of green stuff, which is interesting. Can I can I ask you a quick question about? Don't you bury the lead? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. You were going to bury the lead. I don't know. Next is the cosmological section or the rosettes folio with thirteen folios. There are obscure circular diagrams containing a map or diagram of nine islands connected by causeways containing castles as well as a possible volcano. Uh, there's also a drawing of a dragon, which is interesting. Mm. The pharmaceutical section with thirty-four folios and there's. Many labeled drawings of isolated plant parts, roots, leaves, bark, objects resembling apothecary jars ranging from 
you know, really simple and mundane to elaborate and ornate. This is really interesting, this section, because kind of like what you were saying with like the sort of the, you know, botany drawings. Mm -hmm. It's weird because especially in like the herbal section, we don't really know what these plants are. They don't really look like anything we know of. Mm -hmm. But in this section in particular, there's some stuff that kind of looks familiar, but then it's sort of, it's almost like it's a composite piece. So it would be like, oh, well, this is a, you know, this is a rose, but instead of the vine being, you know, a thorny vine, it would be like the connective vine of like a coconut tree or, or you know, some, it's really weird. It's almost like sort of a com- like composite, you know, it's like a little the same, but a little different, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which I'm sure you know where I'm going with that. Um, and lastly, the recipe section uh, with 22 folios. And here are full pages of text broken up into many short paragraphs, each marked with a star in the left margin. The purpose of the Voynich manuscript is still totally unknown, but the impression is that it's something akin to medieval or modern medicine, sort of like a pharmacopoeia. Mm-hmm. Many other open-minded researchers suggest that it's linked to alchemy and the known alchemical equipment of the actual, of, you know, that they knew of around that period. Uh, astrological considerations frequently played a role in herb gathering, bloodletting, and other medical procedures of similar age. So they think, for example, like my grandfather used to be, he, he would read like the Farmer's Almanac, which mm-hmm. the first song on our first record of modern society was called Almanac. Um, mm-hmm. We've always thought that was a really cool idea, but it's that's kind of what it's saying here is like the, you know, you would sort of utilize your your knowledge of, of the moon and the waxing and the waning, you know, because it does affect like the tide, but it also mm-hmm. affects, you know, magnetic sort of, f- you know, field across the earth. So, you know, for example, he told me when I was getting my wisdom teeth taken out, he said, well, you need to wait until after whatever this particular day was in the month. And the reason he did that is because I guess the magnetic pull that the moon has, you, you have sort of a, a holding of blood in your head and then throughout the month, it works its way down your body. So, it, you know, once it like passes your head, so yeah, so you would bleed less, you know, if you had like a procedure or a surgery. So they're basically kind of drawing comparisons to that, you know, with the astrological section, with the the sort of pharmaceutical or whatever. Uh, the fir- Here we get into the owners, which this is really interesting. I'll kind of be quick about this. The first confirmed owner was George Beresh a 17th century known alchemist, which is pretty cool, from Prague, a Jesuit scholar named Athanasius Kircher from the Roman College, again, the Jesuits, had claimed to have deciphered the Egyptian hieroglyphs. And so Beresh had sent two letters in 1639, you know, to this, this, uh, this guy in 1639 to Rome asking Kircher for clues. Uh, after Kircher discovered the book, he tried acquiring the book from Beresh, but he refused to sell it throughout the time when he was alive. When he died, however, the book passed to his friend, Jan Merrick Marcy, who was the rector, which is like a senior official of Charles University in Prague. Uh, he passed it on to Kircher saying, Beresh's, his toil was in vain, which this is amazing line, for such sphinxes as these, they obey no one but their master, mm. which is pretty fascinating. I mean, obviously he was drawing a comparison because this guy supposedly you know, decoded the hieroglyphs, mm, which mm-hmm. linked to, you know, Egyptology and stuff. Dr. Raphael, a tutor in the Bohemian language to Ferdinand III, which was the king of Bohemia at the time. Th- this is in the same letter f- 
from the original owner, George Beresh. This is his friend who the manuscript went to him, and then his friend is now sending it to this Kircher the Jes- at the Jesuit school. And so he said in this letter, letter, Dr. Raphael, a tutor in the Bohemian language to Ferdinand III, then King of Bohemia, told me the book belonged to Emperor Rudolph, and he believed that the book to be written by Roger Bacon. The almost invisible signature or name on the first page of the book is that of Jacobus Horsiki Tepenica, the head of Rudolph's botanical gardens in Prague and possibly given as part of a debt that was owed to him upon his death. Uh, no records at all were kept for the next 200 years of the book, but likely it was stored with the rest of Kircher's collection in the library of the Roman College. It remained there until the troops of Victor Emmanuel II of Italy captured the city in 1870 and later confiscated many properties of the church, including the library of the college. Many books, however, were secretly spirited away and transferred to the personal libraries of the faculty of the college, which is pretty cool. It's just wild these that these ancient texts have survived this long. And like mm-hmm. just thinking of them not only just being in like a library forever, but being like passed down and surviving oh, wars and like and being intact, man. Yeah, like, exactly. I have I have a early edition of an early printing, not a first printing, but pretty close of Tom Sire. Mm. And whenever I got my hands onto it, uh, it was given to me by like um, my great grandma. But you know, a lot of the pages were so brittle, dude, that if you barely touched them, they just flake off. Yeah, and and I have a similar. Uh, book in my collection. It's like a 1995 Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) So this guy spirited it away. Uh, It was found in a private library of Petrus Becks, who, again, it's this weird synchronicity, was the head of the Jesuit order and the university's rector at the time. Becks's library was moved to the Villa Mondragon, a large country palace near Rome, that had been bought by the Jesuits in 1866, and later, you know, it would become their headquarters. In 1903, the Roman college was short on money and decided to sell some of its belongings discreetly to the Vatican Library. The sale took place in 1912, but not all the books ended up going to the Vatican. Somehow, Wilfred Voynich acquired 30 of these manuscripts, among them the one which now bears his name, and that is the Voynich Manuscript. Mm. Pretty awesome. Man, super awesome. Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, it was later donated to Yale College in 1969. So, so that's where it is. Yeah. And you can, uh, I think, on the, the the Yale website, you can you can look it up and find all the scans, which man are fast. That's really cool. Now, let me ask you this: Did you run into? Well, I I, I happen to read about how Voynich made a presentation to the College of uh, Physicians in Philadelphia in 1921, essentially promoting the belief that the manuscript had been authored by this um, sort of quote-unquote father of experimental science, Roger Bacon. Right. And, you know, apparently this theory has persisted among some of the, you know, sort of fringes and stuff. Yeah, uh, that's interesting too because he had, you know, he supposedly had the Bacon cipher, uh, which was like a a way of like decoding, you know, it was like a – what is it called? Like, I guess like a key. Yeah, uh, almost like, like a Rosetta Stone, but yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's interesting that they say that that would be him if if he also had this yeah, thing. Yeah, dude, what I kind of accidentally stumbled upon is there are, I'm going to go with a solid 20 to 30 theories about who wrote it and like descriptions of why and all this kind of stuff. 
that you can find mm-hmm. online about this manuscript. One of them, though, yeah. that kind of specifically talks about this guy named Dan Burrish claims that the manuscripts were written down and end in Safford by Hebrew Roger Bacon and that it mm-hmm. describes, dude, listen to this. And this is going to, I mean, God, this is going to open up just potential to just approach an episode just with this theory. It describes some kind of alien technology from the future for creating DNA with sound. Yeah, man. And that's just one of the theories, dude. Yeah. Although the one thing about really probably all these these volumes that we're talking about, you know, especially with the Voynich manuscript, because it's so kind of widely known. um, And so, you know, like I said before, it's been, you know, by all, you know, code breakers or crypto analysts or cryptographers, whatever they've everybody that is like, you know, on the top level of their fields, everybody has has tried to break the code and tried to figure it out. And so I was, I mean, just since I've been into this, you know, maybe, I mean, it's been over 10 years, but just in the time that I've known about this, every few years, it's like so-and-so, you know, you know, figures out the code, you know, cracks the code mm-hmm. on this. And it's just, it's never. It's like clickbait or something. Nev- yeah. Well, yeah, it is. It's kind of, it basically is like clickbait. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, these people kind of have these sort of propositions of like, oh, I figured it out. And I think this guy specifically is like, oh, well, it's it's clearly Hebrew, which would be like, you know, f- from like the first century Jews or like Aramaic. And I think that was was basically torn to shreds by like a an actual, you know, first century Jew scholar who was like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense because, you know, these people at the time – if it were of that language or consisted of of that language system, anybody in that realm would be like, oh, that's clearly Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Like it's not cryptic enough. Like the, basically he's just saying, oh, well, it would just be this sort of, it has components of this early language. And I can't remember her name, but this girl sort of dispelled that by saying there would clearly be people that would know ancient Hebrew mm-hmm. around at that same time who would have been like, well, yeah, that's easy. It's It's not right. that. I mean, dude, like this is a can of worms that once we open, it's just like this This specific yeah. one about this theory about the technology to create spontaneously DNA through the use of sound and all this and alien technology, That's dude. Awesome. He also uses, he, he's got like a picture of like this small little box that's on one of these pages that he basically says, it says Oteos or whatever, and it's claimed he claims to, that it represents the Orion Cube. What? Yeah, dude. Now we're diving into like other alien theory stuff and the mythology about like Orion and the pyramid. I mean, dude, <laughs> there's and this is just one of the many. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So you know, it, it it's interesting too. I mean, that can get into like all that Nick mm-hmm. Hinton stuff, like the the Saturn cube. But I've always thought it was so fascinating. Uh, just the idea of like sound, and I, I, I truly do. Like, if I had to to place my bets on what I thought, you know, how the pyramids happened, uh, I think it's also tied to the same way that you know Coral Castle, which that's another episode we'll get into. I think it was this sort of s- somewhat sound technology, and I think you know if you're looking at it, I mean, even down to like like the Bible, you know, it says in the beginning was the Word, 
and the word was with God and the word was God. And so if you look at that, like, what is the word? A word is like spoken language. What is spoken language? It's sound. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if you sort of strip it down to its most sort of bare kind of components, it's like, um, and, and, you know, even, even in, you know, early sort of biblical, you know, sort of research or it's, you know, there's name, there's, there were like names of God, which you couldn't say out loud and stuff. Cause it was all kind of based on this sort of audible. It's like the word of God was like the sound yeah. that you would say was mm-hmm. God. It's almost a little bit like the ohm mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yep. And it's that sort of vibratory, which it gets in again, it gets into like, we're all sort of based on like vibrating or little vibrating beings. And, you know, so obviously sound could manipulate. And we're not that, talking about like, like the stuff that you had in your underwear drawer. We're talking about, <laughs> you know, well, it, it's interesting Geo-honest too. Yeah, it's interesting too. There's just so much about the power of sound, the power of words, even, even, even on a psychological level, you know, I mean, like, it's just, it's just very interesting. It, in, in that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, yeah, that's fascinating, though. That's really man, cool. I, like I mean, that. I think we could dive into that forever. And, like, how in the world did I not immediately think of the Mayday mystery with all of this stuff? And what an incredible synchronicity yeah. there mm-hmm. at the same university that the Mayday mystery began, yeah. dude. That's pretty awesome. Well, so we had a few more, but I, I definitely think that this is going to have to go on to be a, um, you know, there will be a part two to mm-hmm. this for sure, a sequel. But before we go, I want to get into, and again, this is really fast, and this is also a topic that I would love to get into for a full episode, and we definitely will because it's just awesome. Um, but Woody, have you ever heard about the Green Children of Woolpit? No, but dude, don't don't start a whole new thing. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. No, I mean, not even. I know, saying but the- I think this this could possibly tie into this. Okay. Uh, you know, the again, green children of the pool pit. The green children of Wool Pit, which is like Wolf Pit, technically. This uh, the village of Wool Pit was in Suffolk, England, right around that area. These kids suddenly just like they just showed up during like harvest season, and both of them, their skin was green. This links back to the 12th century, so this links back around the time of 1135 to 1154, and they know that because it was during the reign of King Stephen. They sort of show up. They kept them in a monastery. The story kind of goes, it, you know, and it's it's been in like, in all these books that like link way back, like 1189, basically, where they're even talking about it. So these kids show up. They speak a completely unknown language. Their clothing was unfamiliar. They refused to eat any food for a few days. They didn't understand like what the food was. Mm. They ran across some raw broad beans, which they, you know, finally they ate. Both kids gradually adapted to normal food and they lost their green color. The boy was a little younger than the girl and he kind of became sickly and eventually died. Um, His sister, however, were kind of went on to be normal. Uh, You know, she learned English and, you know, eventually married and then just kept going. So it's pretty fascinating because this was like an actual real these were real people and these kids, I mean, you can trace the lineage and stuff. Mm-hmm. This is what's fascinating. They said they came from a land where the sun never shone and the light was like twilight. They called their home St. Martin's Land and that everything there was green. They were kind of unable to account for their arrival. They had been herding their father's cattle when they heard a loud noise and suddenly found themselves by the wolf pit where they were found. They basically were lost and they followed the cattle into this cave 
and then after being guided by the sound of bells, eventually emerged into our land. Again, there's a lot more to it, and we'll do a full episode. Basically, what I'm saying is I think this is a a dimensional thing. I think it's probably a pretty mundane thing, and that this book somehow belongs in another dimension and has made it here. And I just, I don't know. I love the idea that, like, I wonder if, if these kids, you know, would... Is that the language that mm-hmm. they spoke? Is that the language that's in the Voynich manuscript? Or the Rohan's Codex. Yeah. Or the like the food that they talk about. Is that their normal food that they could eat? Mm. I mean, it's pretty fascinating. It is really cool. And I think that's a good, a pretty nice ending to, uh, to a pretty cool topic. Mm. Yeah, man. I mean, just like our listeners feel right now. Um, Confused. It just lends to more research needing to be done you know, about these yeah. things. It's just a fascinating, fascinating topic, fascinating, like, texts. I mean... Yeah, and, you know, we'll say this again. This is, like, a, a visual, a very visual kind of medium. So I'm telling you, if you're remotely interested in these things, like, you owe it to yourself to... And and don't just go to, like, the Wikipedia. Like, really kind of, like, look into it. You can find scans of the whole thing. It's It's really bizarre. And it's just, like, especially with the writing, it's just weird enough that... I mean, it just feels like another dimension. Mm-hmm. It feels like, you know, say in our dimension, the guy that created the letter the letter P, well, maybe there's a dimension that's right next door to his right where he made the same decision, but maybe he was in a different light. And, you know, while he was creating this letter and he turned the little, the little circular, you know, that goes in the right direction, maybe he turned it left. It just, it feels like that. It feels like, like, man, I should be able to read this because it, it's the same structure and everything of what what is very mundane to us and typical, but it's just slightly off. It's wild, man. We say it every single week. It's our tradition to say thank you. Thank you for listening. It, it means the world to us because we understand that the world's a crazy place. Mm-hmm. And everyone has a lot to do and everyone has their busy life. But the fact that you take the time to listen to us talk about Everything from crazy books to what we like to watch on the treadmill is just the most amazing thing to us. And we could we could not thank you anymore. Season two, so far, I'm just loving it, man. I'm loving all the stuff that we have in store for you, and I know that you will oh, yeah. too. So, Tyler, where is the best place where people can interact with us? Well, the only place that I know of is Instagram. You know, we say it all the time. We love the community that's growing there. We love our, this little That Would Be Rad family. It is truly rad to us that, you know, we can wake up every morning and there's people talking. There's people, you know, throwing stuff out there, like ideas, concepts. And it's just really cool to us. So, you know, keep it up. We love it. We say all the time, if only you could tell one friend about the show, within a day, our audience has doubled. And that would be super awesome. Also, if you could, aside from telling your best friend, hop on over to Apple and give us a five-star review. That really, really helps. You know, we kind of feel like our, with all the production value and all the bells and whistles and it's our podcast. So we love it. And we think that the more people listening, you know, we think they would like it too. So hop on over there, give us some, uh, give us some love and reviews. If you want to tell us something, shoot us a DM in Instagram, if it's more long form, or if you want to record a voice memo specifically for our Halloween season, so we can play it at the end just saying uh go ahead and send that to that would be radpod at gmail.com anything else would um nope we love you we appreciate you 
And as always, be rad. That's the way it the non-parents are gonna be like what the f- is this uh did did you go last last time did i go last don't I mean, understand the question you, won't you, respond to it did you do the intro last time i think so okay. all right you ready <clears throat>
Who's on the other line of this, Mike? Wilford and Brumley? What's the hold up here, man? <laughs> I'm trying to find something to chill out. Um, <laughs> cool out, man. <laughs> hey, cool out. Um, hey, all you code breakers and cryptographers, this is your favorite podcast to fucking hell. Hey, all you code breakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I realize, I realize halfway through that, like, Hey, all you code breakers and cryptographers, welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games. <laughs> just has You to, started laughing. You, I'm sorry, man. Just has to take a breath and take a swallow there just every time. <laughs> I, I knew I wasn't going to make it. so dry. So scared. Of oh, like so nervous. Cripes. Um, do I have to say the whole thing again? Well, I don't even know where it went wrong, so might as well. Because I heard you like you had like a little. I couldn't, man. Snicker. I can't help it. It's just like <laughs> we could really use the time. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking of. Okay, uh, <laughs> Jesus, man. Now I'm not gonna be able to get. Hey, man, it at you all. got this, bro.